Hi, we're Grace and Clara, here to shake up the world of women's health. We know firsthand how intimidating it can be to speak up when it comes to issues like your menstrual cycle or menopause. That's why we created Unprocessed, a weekly podcast where we dive into every aspect of women's health, from mental well-being to physical nutrition. We're here to ask the burning questions and encourage us all to advocate for ourselves. So get ready for some smart, cheeky and witty discussions about all things women's health. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. You have Grace and Clara in your ears. And before we dive into our chat with our guest today, Clara, you have been sharing your health journey with our listeners for the last few months. And this week, you have an interesting update for us all. So I've got a bit of news. It's another piece of the puzzle in this whole health journey that I've obviously been going through. So I thought I would update everyone. So obviously I had endometriosis, Um, was confirmed through my surgery in I think June or July I can't remember June or July Um, and it was stage three and it was quite severe and as I said it's been something that I've been talking to doctors about for ages so I've actually been working with one of our naturopaths really closely so um, anyone who's on the gut health program will know Sheridan Decker she is amazing really um really knows her stuff actually all of our naturopaths really know their stuff they're a brilliant team so there was just a few things that I've been kind of going through and unpacking from conversations that we've been having over the last you know month and a half two months in terms of gut health and we've had a lot of experts come on board about gut health and and I've been talking to them about everything that's been going on with me Um, and there's just been some red flags the whole time through some of these conversations. So some of the symptoms that I've been feeling obviously is fatigue, but that's a really hard symptom because, hey, like life, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Pretty sure if I spoke to you you guys. Exactly right. Same thing. Um, but then I've been also having these flare ups. So that I've never really had before. So for example, Mm -hmm. I now get um, peeling skin on my fingers, which sounds horrible. Sorry, guys. It's something I'm really embarrassed about, I think, because it's your hands and you go to shake hands and all of that kind of stuff. And I get it when I'm stressed. So it's definitely a stress condition. My hair has been falling out. But again, I just had a baby. But I've had this for years. Like John always complains (laughs) that, you know, there's all my hair is in the shower. But that's also, you know, a lot of girls have the same thing. The other key piece of information is I have had all of these different symptoms and I've never really sat down with anyone and gone, here it all is as well. Like until very recently, until I moved in with John and I moved into this area, I never had a consistent doctor that I went and saw either. I always went to a medical centre that was bulk build for financial reasons, bulk build. And so I never really had continuous medical care. I always just saw who I was the first available doctor, never bothered Mm -hmm. me. So I sat down and I went through with Sheridan everything that I've been going through right from a teenager, um, which is probably when I have my first memories of stuff happening up until now. And there was a lot of stuff that was being flagged for Sheridan. And one of the things that she wrote in her notes was Hashimoto's. Uh-huh. which I think, as everybody knows, for I Quit Sugar um, is an interesting one because it's obviously something that Sarah had 
Mm-hmm. And as much as I've been working uh, with the I Fit Sugar world, and I am actually pretty close. I'm not sugar free, but I definitely I have fruit, but I'm definitely low fructose. Um, I I live our lifestyle. I live pretty healthy, which is probably also what's been saving me. I never, it never ever present. I never realized it, what I was feeling could be Hashimoto's. Um, obviously, Sheridan looked through and she just said, you know, this is the start of the investigation. Could possibly be Hashimoto's. And it was just that one word. And for some reason, it stuck with me. Then Sarah posted about her Hashimoto's and she posted some of the really obscure symptoms that she's found that she had with Hashimoto's. And that just rung bells with me. So some of the obscure stuff is, um, Again, too much information, sorry, guys. But I've always had a little bit of, like, my my feet have always been peeling and flaking and super dry and I get kind of excess skin. Mm-hmm. And that's what Sarah said she had. And I was like, wow, that, I just thought that was me. And I've always, I've always gone and tried to take care of it regularly and stuff, but it's mm-hmm. just the condition they're in. It's really difficult to get rid of. And then... The other side of it is she said that she has I she always gets her eyebrows tattooed or feathered um, mm-hmm. because she only has eyebrows that are like a third to two thirds and then it kind of gets really faint. Exactly the same as me. And she said wow. that's part of Hashimoto's. And I was like, but this is just something I thought that was me. Um, mm. you know, in year twelve I remember a guy used to call me the girl with no eyebrows. And I was like, so I just honestly never, so this is this minute, weirdest stuff Mm -hmm. that I thought was just unique, you know, like not really having eyebrows. I'm guessing that could be a hereditary thing. My parents don't have that though. Mm. So I was like, this is really weird. Anyway, she just started flagging stuff with me. And then I went to the doctor and I forced them to do the test and I will tell you now I was forcing them I ended up having the markers for Hashimoto so but I sent it to Sheridan so the doctor comments were and which is the part I really want to talk to everyone about the doctor's comments were these results are reassuring so there was a bit of confusion she kind of said don't really understand what these markers mean against these markers, but these results seem reassuring. And then I asked for the full results. So I would normally, with a doctor, just get the cover letter that says, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, no need to see us, you're fine. Yeah. I would never really ask for the results, but because I wanted to send them to Sheridan, I asked for the results. And throughout the comments from the lab, were all these different things. So one of them was iron, an issue with my iron, which I have now also found out is really common with people with Hashimoto's. Another one was um, an issue with insulin, which I know I've had. So I'm insulin resistant. I got diagnosed with that before I had Kinsley and then I had gestational diabetes. I've spoken about that. Um, I have now since found out a lot of people with Hashimoto's have insulin resistance. And then my antibodies, my thyroid antibodies were really severely high. 
And under that, mm-hmm. it said if they're high, it's a trigger for Hashimoto's disease. Um, oh, it's a sign that you've got Hashimoto's disease. If it's low, it could be other thyroid conditions. And she wrote, the results are reassuring. So I was spinning when I read mm. that information because I was like, this doesn't make sense. Like this sentence and this sentence, they just don't seem to go together. So how does this all work and what's going on? And I think this is just a lesson for everyone. I I still don't understand enough about Hashimoto's. I don't even, like, I'm I'm right at the beginning of this journey, just like endometriosis. I'm right at the beginning of both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's now a lot more I've got to go through. So I'm now doing a total elimination diet for about a month. Um, and they can they say actually from anywhere from a month up to 90 days. Um, obviously, sugar is a big thing. So I'm mm-hmm. glad that... Um, I'm educated in that world, but honestly, just getting a letter, I have no idea what it meant. I didn't know what the results meant and I had no idea how to change things. Mm. So what I now understand is what the results were showing me were the baseline markers for my thyroid starting to attack something I can't remember what they said sorry guys I know I'm as I said this is all really new we're not doctors I've just taken some information we're not doctors (laughs) and I'm just learning so um it's showing that it's really really hard a high and it could start to attack I think my thyroid or something along those lines and so this is the best best time for me to actually do something about it Mm. because I have a chance before it gets too bad but they didn't and also the other side of it is they this it, I had a similar result not as high in 2021 oh what? and nobody's ever mentioned this to me yeah so wow. on my results it actually says this was her result from 2021 this is her result now and it's wow. so much higher so much higher mm. but it was flagged in 2021 and no, and like nobody said anything to me. And I now think of all the conversations again, like endometriosis that I've had in the past. And again, it could be confusing because, you know, endometriosis is autoimmune. Mm. So there's a, a few, and they love to have company is what I've also found out. Autoimmune diseases <laughs> love company. So if you've got one, you kind of have sometimes have a one, uh, another one or a couple more. And so that's why I think Sheridan was so angry as well. Is she's like, you've got a history of an autoimmune disease. You told them you had a history of an autoimmune disease. And yet, and also the doctor I went to see also said, it sounds like you might have an autoimmune disease. Oh. Have you got one? And I was like, no, don't think so. Don't really know. I feel like with autoimmune conditions and please correct me if I'm wrong because you're experiencing this at the Mm. moment there's some kind of stigma that like you can't touch them they're not 100% real you can't 100% see them they're there but they're not there that's how I feel with autoimmune I think you're 100% right yeah okay just based off when our community tell us stories and they're very similar to yours Clara multiple times I have received DMs saying 
I feel like I'm crazy, but I have these symptoms and no one is listening to me. So it's like the condition that you can't touch. A hundred percent. Agree. Hey, it's Grace here. Just want to quickly interrupt the episode to say it's time to start nourishing you. Join the eight-week program and get eight weeks of easy, delicious meal plans with full shopping lists. And at $5.50 or under per serve, it couldn't be more affordable to eat healthy. Each week, we'll give you a range of meals to cook that are quick and easy to prepare with minimal waste. You don't have to be a master chef to enjoy these nutritious meals. Plus fun online workouts, mentoring from industry experts, and access to our exclusive sleep school. Spots are limited. Join now. Now let's get back into the episode. Today, we're in conversation with Elaine McCarthy, a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner with a profound health journey that has inspired her career. Elaine intimately understands the challenges posed by chronic pain, inflammation, and various health issues, recognizing the complexities of the healing journey towards a vibrant self. In her role, she dedicates herself to supporting women in navigating the intricate realms of hormones and gut health. While the interconnectedness of gut with the entire body is well known, in this episode, we explore how the gut relates to perimenopause and uncover actionable strategies for everyday life to prepare for this transitional phase. Elaine, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. I was wondering if you could share with our listeners your personal story because it is truly incredible. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. So yeah, I grew up in Germany, but I came to Australia about 15 years ago and I'm now Australian. Uh, After I had my children, I had a very bad health episode myself. So I had extremely debilitating chronic back pain and nobody could really find um, the reason for it. I had some ligament tearing likely from giving birth, um, but the pain just didn't resolve. And I ended up going from specialist to specialist, you know, neurologist, rheumatologist, um, being put on different pain medications and different cocktails of pain medications and anti-inflammatory drugs, and obviously also getting physical treatment. Um, uh, My husband is an osteopath as well. So I had lots of help, but I, again, I couldn't get out of this state of pain. My mental health then really deteriorated from being in so much pain all of the time and being on this really heavy drug cocktail on top of it and having tiny babies and children that I still needed to take care of and, you know, not much sleep. So it was like the perfect storm of, you know, probably hormonal chaos with not sleeping much and uh, my body just kind of falling apart and breaking down and giving me that really red warning sign of you need to stop what you're doing and really check in with yourself and reconsider your life. And so basically I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis at one point, um, which was shocking because I got really scared of that. And I thought, um, I literally believed I was going to be in a wheelchair by the time I was 40. And, um, you know, I'm 43 now and I'm not in a wheelchair and I'm completely pain-free. So that's the good news. The a diagnosis was later, um, you know, not confirmed by a different rheumatologist. So there's still an argument about it. Um, in the end, I had to kind of find my own way of healing. The, all the drugs that I was put on made me feel, you know, worse and worse, actually, instead of better. And I didn't um, 
you know, I, I just kept, kept being on this downward spiral. So I, I decided to discontinue the drugs, um, come off and find my own way of healing. So I started healing my gut and my hormones and I really changed my nutrition. I saw integrative doctors and, and started to change my ways. And, um, I'm obviously feeling a lot better now. And that's what makes me so passionate about helping other women you know, find a, a, a solutions um, other than just being on drugs. We need those drugs sometimes, and I'm not against them, but there's also lots of ways we can find additional help that can really help us uh, support all of our systems, our cells, our organs, and then our body is perfectly able to heal itself. So that's, um, yeah, that's my story. You mentioned in our chat when we initially met that you went cold turkey and just stopped taking all the drugs that were prescribed to you what made you think that was the best approach for you um I don't recommend uh, anyone else doing that it was definitely a very tricky thing to do but I basically just hit rock bottom I was going mental from being all of uh, on all of these different prescription drugs the Valium the Tramadol the Lyrica um, and it was like this heavy cocktail of medications and I basically just couldn't function with my kids anymore. I couldn't drive a car. I couldn't sleep. And so eventually I, I literally was like, none of these drugs are actually helping me. They're actually making me feel worse. So I want to see how my body actually feels without any of these drugs and um, I also started learning that a lot of these drugs with codeine and, you know, heavy painkillers are very addictive to the body. And um, I, I wanted to see how much pain my body actually produces on its own without the constant withdrawals and, you know, addictive drugs, basically. And so I came off um, very rapidly because I just really wanted to see how my body felt and I was yeah at the rock bottom and I didn't I couldn't function anymore I it was definitely very extreme um, but I felt better within a couple of weeks uh, wow. actually and so that gave me enough of a clue that um, my body is capable of feeling better and healing without the drugs as well and I have never gone back to using them that's amazing and it's also amazing how like all the areas of our body is linked so our gut health is linked to our skin our nervous system and the more we're learning about it and how to nourish it as well from that incredible story you've now become a nutritionist so how do you help women in their everyday lives and what conditions do you help women with yeah, so I'm a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and I specialize in gut and perimenopause. Um, those are the two areas that really interest me and fascinate me. But I also just truly believe that through the gut, um, we have an incredible amount of effect on every other organ in the body. And it's one of the areas that we can actually really control because with the food that we're eating, we change our gut health. With the exercise that we're doing, we can change our gut health. With the amount of sleep that we're getting, we can change our gut health. And so sleeping, eating, drinking are three areas that we all have to do every single day to actually stay alive. And so there is a tremendous amount of opportunity to get people to improve their health overall by 
yeah, changing the things that we have to do anyway so they have the biggest effect. And, you know, being in my 40s myself, I started seeing crazy hormones before my cycles where, you know, headaches that I've never had before, smack bang every time before I got my period. Um, I had worsened sleep, you know, a couple of days to a week every time before my period. I started sleeping really badly and uh, my moods got really, you know, really irritable um, before my cycle um, started having a lot of fights and just being really down as well. And I started going, well, hang on a minute, this is always just before my period. And I used to not have these issues a couple of years ago. So what is going on? And obviously, I started then going, okay, well, something is out of whack with my hormones. And, you know, you have that thought in your mind, I'm actually too young. Like, I feel like I'm not even 40. I'm so young. This can't possibly be my hormones. You know, you think of this happening in your 50s or something like that. But it is. It can start as early as 35. Um, you know, every woman is so different of when she will transition into menopause. And men perimenopause can start as early as 10 years before your very final period. Um, and the official beginning of menopause. So, yeah, I started noticing that uh, and I started running some tests and, um, and then I realized, oh, wow, okay, now my hormones are already low and I need to be doing something about that. And, again, there are so many things we can do with nutrition, lifestyle, and just getting informed about hormone replacement as well. Um, so that we can make the best choices for our bodies. So that's why I then, you know, deep dove into this hormonal picture. And I was like, so many of my friends in their late 30s and early 40s don't even know that a lot of their low moods and, um, you know, sleep issues and weight gain issues and other uh, problems they start seeing, heavy periods, they're already related to early phases of this hormonal transition and it's time to take action early. So for our listeners, what are some key things to identify perimenopause? I mean, the key thing to know is that it can start a lot earlier than you think. And if you're starting to see, you know, funny changes with your cycles, the periods are getting heavier, your moods are getting a little bit more wonky just before your periods, um, your breasts are getting more tender. Uh, but even if you don't have any symptoms at all, the hormonal transition is certainly happening. And it's really important to know that even if you don't have symptoms, structurally on a cellular level, your body is aging, which we don't often want to acknowledge, <laughs> but it is our organs are aging and that hormonal transitioning is happening and that aging process is happening under the surface. So no matter if you have symptoms or not, you've got this beautiful window of opportunity where you just need to acknowledge it's happening and you can then take action steps. So um, again, it's about being preventative rather than reactive. You don't want to arrive in your 50s and 60s and feeling hit by a truck. And then the underlying structural changes in your organs, your brain, your cardiovascular system, uh, system, your musculoskeletal system, so, you know, losing bone density, all of those things will already have happened. And then 
you know, there's, you know, I don't want to be discouraging to women in their 60s. There's still lots and lots of improvements they can make, but how better could it be if we realize it early, start acting early and, and have, you know, great bones by the time we get to 60? Um, that's the, the, the most positive outcome I want women to understand. So taking action early, um, being more proactive with your nutrition and your lifestyle and getting informed about your options with hormone replacement early so that when the time comes, you can have an informed discussion with your doctors and know what the best options and choices are for you. It's not right for every woman, but it's great for a lot of women. And then when we can marry the nutrition, the lifestyle, and the hormone replacement, that's when we see the best outcomes. And I truly believe that women can then, you know, yeah, stand in their queen age in the in this beautiful time in midlife without um, being knocked down and uh, being depressed, not knowing what's going on, and um, and feeling like their body is basically failing them. What are some exercises and everyday tools that women can do in their daily routine that can help with resistance training and muscles? And I'm totally in favor for the resistance training and some weights because we do lose muscle each year. And that's one of the biggest problems that is going to set you up for more insulin resistance, you know, gaining more weight and also losing the bone density along with those muscles. So if we want to get to 60, 70 and 80 and still feel um, mobile and being able to travel and run around with our grandchildren and lifting our shopping bags and living independently, you know, being able to get up and down off the floor, not being afraid of falling and fracturing our bones and ending up in hospital. Basically, the only way to do it is to prevent the loss of muscle that happens every year and to actively engage in exercise that builds muscle, which becomes harder and harder as we age and our hormones decline. So, um, the more muscle we have, the leaner we'll stay, the more metabolically healthy we'll stay, and the more, you know, a longer life we can live with less risks of mortality. So, yeah, do, uh, you know, go to the gym, do some resistance training. I mean, Pilates, reformer classes are great, but also, yeah, get a PT if you need to learn how to lift safely without injuring yourself, without hurting your back and your knees. And, you know, a lot of us have those niggling old injuries that need to be taken care of. But if you learn how to do it safely, there's so many, so much equipment now, so many things that you can still do to maintain the muscle that you have and then to build new muscle. And then we need to come in with the nutrition and actually eat adequate amounts of protein to support that muscle growth and that maintenance of the muscle as well. And I just see that so frequently that women, we, we like to eat, you know, we're gaining weight in midlife and we're like, oh my God, I need to cut calories. I need to eat more salads and vegetables and um, all of that. But what they're not realizing is that they're actually often under eating protein and quality nutrient dense protein as well. We often, you know, it's easy to eat a lot of carbs because they are convenient and easily available and they taste delicious. 
And we don't need to avoid carbs, but we also need to make sure that we're hitting our protein goals um, to repair our muscle tissues and stuff as well. Um, we need amino acids for, um, for our liver detoxification. We need amino acids for so many different processes in our body. So protein is really one macronutrient that I see that women neglect very frequently particularly when they start gaining weight and they're panicking about that and, um, you know, whole food groups are being cut out and then, you know, muscle loss kind of accelerates. Uh, women go on these crazy diets and really undereat. So, yes, they lose weight, but they often also lose muscle along with that fat and then they end up yo-yo dieting because they lose more muscle. Um, yes, they've you know, went down on kilos on the scale, but they're actually more metabolically unfit because they've lost more muscle. So they burn less calories, they become more insulin resistant. And then, you know, they feel like they're in this hamster wheel of never being able to be at the weight that they want to be um, feeling, you know, sluggish and unhealthy and tired and becoming more insulin resistant all the time. So how much protein would you recommend women eat every day? Um, it's a little bit different to depending on which stage of perimenopause or menopause you're in. So obviously in the early stages for younger women who still have sex hormones like estrogen and progesterone and testosterone, um, that you can go very, you know, a lot harder with your weightlifting and you're also much more able to still build muscle. So for sure, they can go up to two grams per kilogram of body weight. So if I weigh 60 kilo, let's say I would be eating 120 grams of protein, but I also do go to the gym and I lift very heavy weights. And I am still in my early 40s, so I can still build muscle. For women that have potentially already transitioned um, into menopause, so they're more at the end of their 50s or 60s, and they are not on hormone replacement, for example, then the protein sometimes needs to be individualized a little bit and can be less because the protein often comes along with a lot of natural fat, right? Because protein is usually meat um, and the meat also has fat. And with the loss of that estrogen that happens after we fully transition into menopause and we're not replacing it from hormone replacement, there's a certain amount of arterial stiffening that happens. Um, and that arterial stiffing is obviously a bit of a risk factor for cardiovascular health risks. And so a high fat um, diet can be a little bit of a problem there. So again, we want to obviously focus on lean protein more in that stage and um, just making sure that you're also, you know, getting a blood test done, checking your cardiovascular health risks and doing uh, more moderate exercise. Or if you can, taking a uh, body identical estrogen uh, can obviously help to, you know, have more cardiovascular health and prevent that arterial stiffening um, and the loss of bones and stuff as well. So it's not a one-size-fits-all with the protein recommendations, but generally between 1.5 to 2 grams, I think, is a really good start for most women, no matter if they're younger or older. And then depending on what 
how much you exercise, obviously, as well. You mentioned um, the gut is you can control the gut with how you eat and you sleep. But what is actually happening to your gut as you're going through this transition of perimetopause? Yeah, so your gut microbiome is obviously uh, very, very able to influence your hormone health as well. We know that there are certain microbes called the estrobolome or estrobolome, depending on which country you're in and how you want to pronounce it, are specifically there to help uh, process um, and metabolize estrogen, for example. Uh, We also know that the microbiome is very involved in how insulin sensitive we are and how our metabolism works. So it regulates much more than just our poop, you know, what many people think of. So um, the gut health is really important. But with the decline of our hormones, um, as we go closer towards menopause, um, we lose that protective effect of our estrogen. Estrogen is an amazing hormone. It gives us this young looking skin, um, you know, dense bones, but it also protects our mucosal lining of the gut. And as that estrogen declines, we lose that protective effect. So we can see more problems with intestinal permeability, which then again causes more inflammation issues, body-wide sort of pain issues, autoimmune issues become very, very common in perimenopause. Um, We're basically going through a natural process of inflammaging. So with the aging of our organs and the decline of our sex hormones, we are sort of going through an inflammatory process, which is natural. But that's why it is such a critical time of opportunity to, you know, not eat processed foods and reduce our overall uh, toxin load. Um, and inflammation to have better health outcomes. Um, We also know that with the decline of the sex hormones uh, that directly alters the quality of our microbiome, so it's a little bit like the chicken and the egg situation, the better we can get our gut health, the better our hormones and our metabolism will be and the less inflammation we'll have. So we'll definitely have a better health outcome. But also, you know, the less we have hormones, the worse our our gut health will be. So it doesn't matter what we want to improve. We need to improve our gut to have better hormones and, you know, also taking hormone replacement and doing all of the lifestyle factors will also improve our gut health. So for the ladies who go into perimenopause who already have IBS or long-standing constipation, diarrhea, um, acid reflux, and they already have a lot of warning signs or you know autoimmune gut issues as well, they should definitely pay even more attention to uh, improving their gut. We all know that brain fog is can be a symptom of menopause and perimenopause. So is there tools that we can use to improve our brain health that is preventative for the future? Yeah, absolutely. We know about the gut-brain connection. So definitely having a really healthy digestive system is going to be really good for your brain. Um, Having a great diverse microbiome, um, exercise is obviously absolutely amazing for your brain. There's nothing that can replace exercise. Um, Getting the, you know, good nutrition um, 
healthy fats, healthy uh, carbohydrates, having, you know, in, being insulin resistant is already a problem in itself for your brain as well if uh, you're on a blood sugar roller coaster ride you're not going to get that um, glucose into your brain cells you're going to feel brain foggy you're going to have low energy you're going to start having cognitive issues so stabilizing your blood sugar is one of the big things i work on with every single woman um, because often we are on that roller coaster ride. We skip meals. We just have a quick coffee. We run around with children and work and our careers. Midlife is a busy time, right? So we often prioritize everything else. We forget to eat or we then kind of quickly eat a muffin and a coffee. And that's not going to, you know, give you a great healthy brain. Um, so lots of things to do with your nutrition and your exercise but also as i mentioned just before we need the estrogen to be come in as an extra protective factor towards the end of menopause or when estrogen starts declining rapidly um because yeah our brain needs that estrogen to stay healthy long term as well i'm guilty of that i had a coffee this morning and i haven't had breakfast yet so i'm like nodding along like yeah that was me guilty yes <laughs> you've mentioned insulin resistance what is that and why do we need to be mindful of it um so insulin resistance is basically when the cells in your muscles, fat and liver don't respond well to insulin. So insulin is a hormone that controls our blood sugar, obviously. Um, and so if our cells and our organs can't easily take up the glucose from our blood, we see these metabolic issues starting to happen. And obviously, the most prominent one where midlife women complain about is that their belly waist circumference increases and they start packing on that belly fat and they can't shift it so easily anymore. So all the things that used to work in their 20s and 30s just don't work. Um, they're trying to exercise like crazy and it's just not shifting. Um, and that's when we then, particularly if the waist circumference starts to become really big, that's when, you know, people start getting skin tags is another sign, obviously, but also just having crazy energy crashes um, after you're eating, needing, you know, an afternoon pick-me-up, um, just general blood sugar dysregulation is so so common and um yeah if you're if you're gaining that weight and you just can't lose it anymore there's definitely the hormone insulin involved there's many other hormones obviously involved but insulin is obviously the main one and that's um then often hard to shift and then women yeah start taking these drastic measures and they're still not not seeing the results and then Liver is another interesting area that we need to monitor and protect. So what is your advice to look after this organ throughout peri and menopause? Yeah, so your liver um, metabolizes estrogen, for example. So it's a very important organ to help us feel good in midlife. And um, we uh, also see an increase in non-alcoholic fatty liver disease which is a huge problem and it's mainly because people are eating you know too much processed food too much sugar um the high fructose corn syrup um is you know all of the sugary drinks and things like that it's not mainly related so the most common cause of fatty liver is not alcohol anymore it's actually 
food related and insulin resistance related as well. So um, the easiest first step to take the load off your liver is to actually reduce the amount of sugar that we're eating. So we're on the right podcast here. Um, and um, and reduce the amount of alcohol. Obviously, that's also sometimes a problem in midlife that women need to calm down after their stressful day and um, have a couple of glasses of wine, um, which I understand, but the alcohol, again, disrupts your blood sugar levels. It sets you up for worse sleep at night, and that is a downward spiral because the next day when you didn't have a good sleep, you're becoming more insulin resistant and you're feeling more fatigued and then you need more coffee and then you're going to drink more alcohol at night because you're revved up from the day. And this is sort of um, what very commonly happens. So taking the load off your liver is to reduce um, the amount of processed foods and sugars that you're having, reducing alcohol that you're having. I basically don't drink um, at all. Very occasionally I'll have one drink, but that's, um, you know, twice a month or something like that. Now I see very directly how it messes with my sleep and how I feel the next day. So I don't want to do that going through perimenopause. Um, and also, um, you know, you can obviously eat adequate amounts of protein and a really nutrient-dense diet to support phase one and phase two of liver detoxification, where we need a lot of nutrients, B vitamins, minerals, and also amino acids to, um, you know, take toxins in from our environment, make them water-soluble, and then being able to poop and pee them out. And interesting you said that about alcohol as well because I recently, I'm trying to listen to my body a bit more and I notice when I have a lot of alcohol the next day, I'll be tired, then I'll just have coffee, then I'll just want sugar. Like it's a ripple effect that you don't realise and then oh, I've had a hard day because I didn't have much sleep or oh, I'll have another one. So it's getting out of that bad habit as well. Yes, absolutely. And often, you know, we grab sugar or we grab alcohol because our body is craving something, right? It wants to calm down and um, we we can actually learn to do that with other things than, you know, needing the energy from sugar and needing the calming effect of alcohol. So once we get blood sugar stable, we give you really great energy throughout the day. So you don't feel like you're constantly relying on coffee and quick carbs and quick sugar to kind of keep you going. Um, you're you're going to have the energy that you need. You're probably going to sleep better. You're going to start being less stressed. You're going to need less and less of that alcohol to calm yourself down at the end of the day. So it's never a willpower issue or oh my God, you know, you're so weak, you can't let go of the sugar and the alcohol. It's making it a positive experience, turning it around, really focusing on nutrient-dense food, stabilizing blood sugar. And then people usually crave the other things less because their body gets everything that they need and the cravings just disappear. Where's the first point to seek education and support to start preparing themselves for preventative measures for perimenopause? I would say probably where you are, maybe early in your 30s, because from your mid-30s, you can 
you don't have to, but you can start. So why not start early, get educated, get knowledgeable and just feel not scared. Like a lot of the women I talk to, they're just kind of, you know, daunted by the whole prospect. There is still a lot of stigma around it. Um, you don't necessarily want to be known for already being in midlife. You, you know, we don't like aging so much in our society, but why not? Um, you know, just like I think we should be learning more about our periods when we're actually in primary school and in high school, and we should be um, more knowledgeable about what we can do to have really thriving hormones in that time and going through puberty and then going through, you know, motherhood and postpartum. So we have these amazing big hormonal transitions that um, men don't have and we basically don't know anything about it. And then we end up in, you know, having babies or going through puberty and we're like completely overwhelmed and that's where we see women struggle. So why not going into our reverse puberty, which is what perimenopause is, with feeling empowered early on and not being scared and actually being excited about it. That's what I want for women. Elaine, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. It has been such a pleasure to chat with you. And for all our listeners who want to learn a little bit more, I'll put links in the show notes below this podcast please give us a five-star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it we want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives this podcast is general in nature we aren't doctors or health practitioners but if this podcast has prompted something for you we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you this podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.